G'day, friends of the show. I just wanted to pop into your ears really quickly and share some exciting news. I have quit my day job. That's right. I'm hitting this podcasting thing full time to dive deeper into the challenging ideas that divide us and make even more content. So if you're enjoying the show and you want to show your support, then there is a few things you can do, different tiers of involvement, if you will. You could, one, become a super friend of the show. You could sign up, go to ideasdigest.org, become a plus member, get exclusive access to uncut content, full interviews, and you can help shape the show there. Uh, You could buy us a coffee, full disclosure. Uh, I've had some pushback through the messages there from some people who know me quite well. I won't spend the money on coffee uh, because I don't drink coffee. Don't judge me. Finally, if you're strapped for the cash but enjoying the podcast anyway, you could rate and review, share the show with your mum, your dad. I'm sure mums love me, so definitely share it with your mum or just rate it five stars on iTunes. iTunes, no, that's old. Who's on iTunes anymore? Rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps. So thank you all for being such great friends of the show and enjoy the episode. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people. Categorizing of humans and ideas. You have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being. To who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas. These things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ideas Digest podcast, where we explore challenging ideas that divide us in order to try and open our minds. My name's Conrad, and I'm joined by fellow idea explorer, Matt. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Conrad. If you're just tuning in, uh, each each week, Matt and I will get together. We're trying to understand some complex ideas, some abnormal ideas, some challenging ideas. And the best way to do that is look at the stories of the people who might be thinking these ideas. And so, Matt, you've you've this book. You've been around it for two years. You've what done a bit of a refresher? Definitely, I've read it again, and then I've gone over parts yep. several times. And I think it's. <sighs> I think it's just because it's just one of those books for me coming out of my own deconstruction post-ministry experience that I was, you know, religion is so consumed with death, right? This is so much about eternal life, death, geez, like the whole, that's a, that's a huge part of, you know, how religions work and how they frame how we live and how we, mm-hmm. they frame their dogmas or they, they frame their, their theology. And so this, this was a book that just caught me by surprise uh it's a a huge bestseller it's massively popular and um all right so i don't know this book you're referring to can you can you clickbait it for me as you're about to tell me all about it what what just get me clickbait well i haven't really got my copywriter hat on but i guess you would say (laughs) maybe everything you thought about death god and the afterlife was wrong damn it (laughs) damn it matt damn it (laughs) and what and i guess the next question would be how would that change your life and so I guess that's right. my best attempt. Change my life, Matt. Change <laughs> my life. So the book that we're looking at today is by a lady called Anita Munjani. And she uh, wrote this book called Dying to Be Me. And I don't want to give too much away. It's around near-death experiences, NDEs, for those that are initiated. So have you heard of NDEs, <laughs> Conrad? I've, I've heard you mention it. Yeah, you've heard me mention it. Okay, great. So <laughs> you mentioned it. You clearly you haven't researched it yourself. You've never been interested in the whole nah, phenomenon. I guess not. 
It's popped up on like, I think it's like if I watched Seventh Heaven, like when I was 12 years old, I had a few like near-death experience kind of stuff. That's probably my only experience with it. Right. Okay. So NDEs for those that aren't initiated is basically when someone, um, all, they, they cross the threshold when they die and they experience- the Death threshold. Yeah, the death threshold. And okay. they uh, re- have reported feelings of being out of their body um, in this state, um, which is actually quite different depending on who experiences it. And the medical community is actually investigating. This is not just sort of uh, just in the realm of pseudoscience. The medical community has a lot of opinion on it and they've done a lot of study on it as well. It's an actually really fascinating phenomenon, whether you're coming into this as a Sam Harris materialist or you're, a, you're, you're out there in the new age spectrum. And I think, I think the conversation is fascinating because if all, like, all these people from around the world that have experienced this phenomenon and there's some tie-in elements that could be true, I think this is huge news. It's massive news, actually. Um, Perhaps in how we deal with religion, spirituality, approach our lives from the personal development perspective. Like, there's so many layers that I think this phenomenon touches. And is there life after death? I guess, you know, that's what it indicates. If you're having a near-death experience and you, you live to tell the tale, I suppose, there might be something out there. Yeah, so without further ado, I'll just dive straight into the story. So we have... Anita, and she was uh, she was raised. She was born in Singapore, and uh, but her family was sort of they had a business, and so they ended up actually settling in Hong Kong. And you can she was it's an Indian family. Her both her parents were Hindu, and uh, she was short, she was sort of raised in that environment. And from a young age, um, she reports writing in a book. You know how she would go out and she would spend time, say for example, with uh, the maid that would work in the house, and she would take her on walks and. She would ask her questions like to this maid, like, why, when you talk to my parents, you lower your eyes and things like that. And she would be like, oh, it's because I need to show my respect, blah, blah, blah. She's like, you shouldn't need to do those things. But unfortunately, she had sort of like not a bad relationship or a toxic relationship with her dad, but it was just, it just didn't quite click. She found from a young age, she would question things in the family. She would question things around their belief systems. And um, it was always reinforced back, no, this is how we are. We're Indians or we believe this way. And particularly around the realm of actually women, um, you know, and because they were grooming her to have a um, arranged marriage and all these things. So she had all these like feminist ideas and she's like, I don't want to go into this like arranged marriage thing. I don't want to, I don't, you know, I don't want to have to believe this because I have to or, or et cetera. And there's been some actually really interesting stories as she was growing up, uh, you know, so she started attending school and at school, you know, she's learning about Christianity, which is funny from an Hindu perspective. And she mm-hmm. sort of learns from this Catholic school she's going to that, um, that you have to, like, one of the kids is just like, Hey, and you know, you have to actually go to church on Sunday. You got to read the Bible. Otherwise, you know, you won't go to heaven. And she's like petrified. She's like, what? Like, are you serious? Like that, that's huge news. Like, well, I didn't believe any of that, but like, we believe in the Vedas or Hindu. So she goes home and um, she's like, I need to investigate this further. So she goes and talks to one of the sisters, um, one of the Catholic nuns that's at the school. And she says, asks the same thing. They're like, yep, that's 100% true. You need to believe the Bible. You need to do these things. And she's just like, now totally petrified. She's just like, oh my goodness. Okay, I need to, I need to believe this thing. So she goes to her mom and her mom's just like, she's like anita darling no like we believe in the vedas like don't believe this religion's just a path don't consume yourself with this but she became so like torn by these you know these fears about around that she could be wrong that they actually removed her from the school and they just put her in some like real like 
uh, you know, just like secular, like richest, you know, I think it's like probably like a, you know, just like a, a lot of families went, they were well off, et cetera. And so it was just none of that, but she, she found herself bullied there and she just found, she just felt like a li- a bit of a misfit growing up and mm-hmm. a critical part of her life, I guess, for an Indian living in that community was that she was to be arranged to be married and her family had arranged all these things. And she was, she, she just felt within her soul that this, this is something that she didn't, that just didn't feel right. And they arranged her. So she met this guy and, uh, and they're like, oh, I guess there might be some chemistry there. And they have this full engagement party and she's sort of on board with the whole thing. Um, but then she's just playing her no mind. Like she, all she wants to do is go and like travel the world. All she wants to do is go and be a photographer and work for NGOs and stuff like that. She doesn't want to be a woman that's like locked into being a housewife um, and just supporting her husband. And she's got all these feelings and emotions. She's wrestling and she breaks down in tears with her mom. And she's just like, mom, I don't know if I can go through this arranged marriage. And she's just trying to calm her down and be like, no, darling, <laughs> you know, like this is, you know, if you don't say yes to this guy, you're, you're going to, you're not, you won't get married again in this community. Like this Whoa. is not like once High the community stakes. knows this, you do like a little bit, you, you do a runner right now. The community is yeah. never going to trust you. You're not going to get a husband. And that's your whole like social security, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah. That's in, in front of her and talks to a brother about it. And she's had a great relationship with her brother growing up. And he's just like, oh, you know, just like, it's, I'm sure it's going to be okay. But she just, she says no. And then the community goes into uproar and they're just like, no. Well, like, you know, they, they're just saying like, you, you'll be happy. Like her parents were like, we got arranged marriage and it was okay. And like, we it turned out fine. Like it was okay. That's a sell. It was, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. But so the reason she was, she's like, no, nah, I'm not doing it. And so which was huge in her community. I guess from us in a liberal, you know, democracy in Australia, we're just like, of course, like, why do that? But for that, for her, that was huge. And this is all, you ask, you know, when I was reading the book originally, I was like, I don't really care. I just want to get to the NDE. Like, why are we learning about all this stuff? (laughs) When do you die? And when do you come back? I know, come on. Like, I don't care if you ran away from this dude, like just get to the, get to the juicy part. But it does actually paint an important picture as it starts to build because she has a breakdown, you know, a, a little bit of a breakdown in a relationship with her father. She ends up getting a local job in Hong Kong, just a secular community, and she just is doing that thing. And um, she ends up meeting this this guy, and she's introduced to. Her name's Danny, and um, he's Indian, which is cool. And um, they go out on a few dates, and then basically, the long story short is that he already knew that she'd run done the runner, but he was okay with it. He's like, I want like, this type of woman. I want like a more modern Indian woman. So. They end up getting married and that's all cool. So she's living this life, but she gets this call basically that her dad's passing away. They've, a lot of her family have moved back to India. So she tries to rush there, but she's not there in time. And she's, I guess, carrying this guilt that she disappointed her father. Like she shamed her father during that time period. Like she didn't live up to his expectations. Of being Even though she felt within herself, she was being true. Um, she, all she wanted was that her father to see you know, her, her bride at this, doing the, the tradition, traditional Indian wedding thing, which he never got to. He died by the time they got there. And as they were pouring his ashes into the river there in India, she just felt just a layer of guilt upon herself. Again, just reflecting of like, I just wish, you know, they were preparing for the wedding at that point. He just wished that the father was there. So it was really sad and a bit, you know, maybe a relationship that just never fully got 
you know, I guess fully repaired or was fully there, had a better relationship with her mom. And so anyway, she's living life normally. And um, it's around 2001, her friend, uh, Sonny, she, she developed cancer. And it's really, it takes her back. She's just like, how Sonny, she's like, they, she's like in her 30s, I think around that time. Um, this is a fit, healthy woman. How does this happen? She's not sure. And it's, it's bad. Like there was some, like she struggled breathing. So she had this cancer that's in a, in a system somewhere and the, and the news is not good around that exact same time. Um, the, her husband's brother-in-law also gets cancer and this is a really aggressive cancer. And so she's now petrified. Like she's now like, she's Googling everything. Well, maybe Google's around at the time, but she's doing the equivalent of research. She's like, she's living in a lot of fear. She's like, okay, well, well, you know, like mobile phones are going to cause cancer, like GMOs are going to cause me cancer. Like, and so she's trying to live organic. She's trying to do all the right things because watching her friend die in front of her is just this constant reminder that cancer is going to take her, like, you know, potentially kill her. She's running all the numbers. And um, I think a lot of the things that she look, looks into and says it caused cancer from a natural health guy, I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty certain they do anyway. But she was consumed <laughs> okay. by them. And, um, yes. and that's, I guess, the most important thing you need to sort of get your brain around at the moment is that she was consumed by the idea of cancer, seeing a lot of fear, a lot of fear. And um, it's unfortunately her friend dies and it's, it's this huge weight in her life. And she's just like, oh my goodness. Like, and she's, it just drives her further deep into to be afraid of death, to be afraid of cancer. And then one day she's, she notices like an unusual lump in her shoulder and she's like you know, trying not to think about it like doing the whole thing of like i'm sure it's something but it's growing and she's like okay so this is sonny was diagnosed in 2001 i think it was 2002 um she's just like she takes goes with her husband and they've been living a great life they're in hong kong they've been traveling he's been amazing like you know they um you know even even the whole thing of her not maybe wanting to have kids which is so like in the Indian community there, it was like, you've got to be, you know, mom and a housewife. And he was okay with that. It was an incredible relationship. And so she's just, she's carrying this weight. She's carrying this fear. She's like, I think that lump, I think like I, I need to get checked out. So she describes that experience of going to that doctor's office after years of seeing, being so petrified of cancer, of dying. And she goes into this doctor's office and she's almost stunned. She's numb as she's listening to the diagnosis coming out of his, um, his mouth. He's saying it's a, 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 it appears to be a lymphoma. Um, we need to start treatment really soon. And um, but it, you know, she describes it. She's like almost underwater and she's trying to look out the window and she's just cannot believe she's young. Like she's not like, this is not an advanced stage thing. She feels like she's been doing, done all the right things. She's like, you know, she's been trying to do all the right things of like yoga to like organic eating and, and she's done all the research. Every oil under the sun. Every oil in the sun. And she's still got cancer. This is the thing that she's feared. And so the doctor's trying to talk to her in, the, in, that, in that writing, in that, in that in the doctor's office. And it's sort of like she's not registering. She's just like, how am I going to process this? How is my family going to interpret this? I'm going to die. I can't believe this has happened to me. And so she's just struggling with all that. What happens afterwards is she's then... She just basically says no to traditional treatment. She's going to go, she goes to India. She goes, goes to his naturopath. She's like, no, nope, I'm going to fight this cancer on my own. So 
Unfortunately, that just leads her down a confusing path because she goes to like naturopaths are saying one thing and then she goes to India and Ayurvedic medicine is saying another thing and she's not sure which one to believe or not. And she's like, at that point, not super spiritual, but she starts going to do yoga and she probably feels a bit of peace at yoga. She's doing yoga, but the long story short is, is that this cancer diagnosis just gets worse and worse in her and it's getting really bad and she's still denying traditional treatment at this point, but the cancer has progressed and things are getting really, really, really bad. So it gets to the point where she can't do life normally. And again, she's getting super weak and she's still doing that yoga class. But the only thing she can do in yoga at this point is sort of that Javasana pose thing. Like you just lay down and just, I think I pronounced it correctly. I'm not a yogi, by the way, anyone listening. But just laying down. Sure. <laughs> Conrad's like, yeah, that pose. Good pose. <laughs> I nail it every day. Laying down. Um, and so at that point in her life, she's, she's yeah, she's looking down. The, like She's in a little bit of denial. She's in confusion. Um, but it, she's dying. And, and she's still re- refusing treatment at this point. Right. So these cancers start to grow and start to take over her life. So she starts to develop... This is now, I think, 2000 thing, 2006, and things are really going south. Like she no longer, she goes around in a wheelchair. She can no longer really even lift her head up. The cancers are grown so much in her chest and her, and her body that she can't breathe. Like she's had to now has assisted oxygen and um, she's got these skin lesions, which come from like, I think, the, the, I don't quite, I'm not a medical doctor, so if someone fact check me, but these lesions of like basically infected skin from where the cancers are and stuff. So she's in a lot of pain and she's starting to feel like she's losing that grip. She's starting to lose like, you know, that will to keep on living that it's just like a lot of discomfort, a lot of pain. And I feel she's, she hated going out in public because people would give her that cancer look or they'd be overly concerned, which would increase her anxiety. Um, she hated what was doing to her husband. Husband has to take out, take like, has to take all this time off from work to start to look after her. And um, this is just not the life she wanted to go. But things got really bad. She was still stubborn, I think, at that point about traditional treatment. And I guess that was she was accepting her lot in life. So she's at home and she starts to, this is now 2002, uh, sorry, 2006. And we're saying like tumors the size of golf balls all through her body. She's screwed, right? She's, she's on death's door. And it's later that I think that night Danny comes in. She's not, she's starting to choke on her own fluid, like in her, like in her lungs. And so they're panicking and um, they've, they're calling, like they're calling out the doctor. What do we do? What do we do? And they're like, you need to get her in now. Like she's, we need to get her in a hospital. Otherwise she's going to die. And so it's around this point is that she's getting put in the ambulance and she's looking at the anxiety in Danny's face, her husband. And she's just seeing this guy that's just, trying to will for her to hold on just like don't don't go like you know anita now please hold on please hold on and she's feeling his anxiety but she's in such pain like you're at that point you can't even move your head like life's the joy of life is gone and she's just sort of at that point as she's getting taken to the hospital and then taken into icu she then goes into a coma so conrad it's around this time that she's now at a full-blown medically induced provable coma and um she's this weird thing starts happening to her she starts feeling like a it was a gradual thing she explained but she starts feeling this weightlessness on her and she's like she starts feeling amazing and she's like this is 
like, and she's seeing Danny's, she's seeing Danny and she's seeing the doctors doing it, running all their tests. And they're saying, we're going to have to drain the fluid in her, fl- in her lungs. Like she's filling up fluid and like they, they're going to take her to the, do these MRIs tests and stuff like that to try and get an ascertain what's happening. But she's basically choking to death. We need to drain this fluid. And she's like, she's like, Hey guys, I'm feeling good. She's like, Danny, relax, chill. Like I'm, I'm good. Like don't like take away the anxiety. She saw like her mum was in there. She had a pretty good relationship with her mum, and she could see that this white thing of her mum, that there's her in ICU watching her daughter die in front of her. And she's trying to communicate to her mum saying, mum, I'm fine. Like I feel really, really, really good. And so it's really fascinating, right? As this, this is happening and she's starting to realize that she's not in a body anymore. She's in the room and um, the other nurses are coming in trying to like, they, they, they could barely find like, I think the, like a vein in her arm because she was so malnourished that basically her organs were, they basically had this conversation down the hallway. So it wasn't even in the room. So down the hallway, they had this discussion, a medical team saying organs are failing. We're going to have to do this, this or this to try and keep her alive. And this is not even the same room, but she became aware and more aware and more aware of not just what was happening in the ICU, but what was happening in the hospital. And she was getting connected and feeling this amazing feeling of interconnectedness everywhere. And she just, all she wanted to that point, she, she felt herself like going and going. And it's that point that she felt the presence of her father. And her father was there and she, she's like, they had this more difficult relationship growing up and she felt in this state, there was this complete pure bliss of non-judgment love all she felt was love from her from her um her deceased father she felt there was more even more people that she couldn't recognize and then she felt her her friend as well that had passed away from cancer was there as well and she just felt this incredible feeling like it's just like she was super aware she could see the tapestry of it all she could see how life interconnected in all different ways she could just feel this unconditional love from all these people around her. And she could see that her cancer wasn't the result that as she thought of all these biological things, she was like, it was something that was broken within her spirit that was causing this disease with that. She just became this complete super aware. It was almost Conrad, like how people describe doing a DMT trip or something, just this state of interconnectedness and this state of feeling love is all that really matters. It was just this, amazing feeling she's like why like and she and she gets to this point that's almost like a threshold and and she feels like she could continue on and and it's like her, her father was saying to her it's like if you continue beyond this point you're not going back um and she's just like why at that point she's like oh, i don't want to go back and be a burden i don't want to go back and feel this pain anymore this is amazing this feels awesome um and so at this point she's She's got, it, she's, she's got to make that call. And, her, and it was her dad who was saying, basically, at this threshold, he's like, Anita, go back and live fearlessly. And it gives her this a beautiful message to her of, like, of love and acceptance and we'll be with you. And she, at that point, immediately knew that if she went back to her body, she was going to be fine. Immediately. Like, it was this like, complete clarity that the cancer, her sickness, her lesions, I was trying to do plastic surgery on her because her lesions were so scarred up from how sick she was. She knew at that point she was going to be healed. And so, so she, yeah. Was her, when, when you're saying her dad was there, she, you said she sensed her dad. Yeah. Was her dad like, like spirit 
spirit floating next to her or did she give any details about or she just heard his voice or just sensed it was it more of like a yeah she I'm describes it as an this. energy it's, just, it's like it's his soul it's his energy presence it's like it's him as it's not like a, an angel or something it's like it's his essence and it's and it's it's hard to it's i think it's hard for her to describe but the way that she sort of mm. um i guess you could say it would be like there's this feeling of of just what of just connectiveness and just and just being and i guess and i guess she could you could replicate in the sense of that feeling you get when you're deeply in love with someone and there's moments of shared connectedness that's how that's mm. what it's like but mm. it's it's complete the most important thing here for us to understand mm. is that it's completely non-judgmental it's completely free of any form of bias or bigotry or anything. And it's just complete love, 100% love. And so she's seen in outside of her body, what's been happening around her and all of the medical staff, all the specific conversations that were had down the hallway, she's fully aware of it. And then she's coming back, like, like back into her body. And so, so what, you know, that, that thing of like, she comes away and her eyes, start to slowly open and Danny, her husband's like, she's awake, she's awake, she's awake. And like, she's just like, tries to give them a smile. And the doctors are looking at her going like, what the, like you are here, you know, on death's door now and your organs are now, f- they're looking at the readings and they're perplexed. Like her bodily organs are, uh, are back online. Um, she's just come out of this coma and, um, yeah, she's, they're just amazed. And her mom's just like singing praises. And it's interesting in that moment, her mom had, um, she saw her mom go into like the, the Hindu part of the, of the, of the, of the hospital there in, in Hong Kong and was praying and her mom would organize all these other Buddhist people to pray. And then she, um, heard about these, uh, Catholic people that were also praying and she felt all of it at once. It was like, she was there present with all of them at once when she was in this state. And she saw her brother flying through the through the air to come and visit her because basically she didn't or wasn't aware of this. Danny, her husband, had called um, called her brother and said she's gonna die. You need to get here. And she didn't know this, but he had to like drive all this way in India, get on this plane, and he was flying there. And he she could sense his anxiety that he wasn't going to be there to see her. He's like had a great relationship. He wanted to be there for her. So she saw all of this at once. There was no present. There was, sorry, there was no future. There was no past. Time happened all at once. It was all encompassing. It was this experience of oneness, of pure bliss. So crazy, right? So she comes aware and she has this conversation with the doctors. And uh, so it's this Dr. Chan comes in. He's like, yeah, good afternoon. You know, and then um, she's like, hey, Dr. Chan. And he didn't, wasn't wearing anything. And he's like, how did you know my name? She's like, well, you're the one that came and told, you know, basically explain the exact procedure that he had done on her, explain the conversation that he'd have down the hallway about her organs failing. And you, you're the one that said like your lungs are, you know, a filling of liquid and you're not going to make it through the night. And he's like, how he's like, well, that's impossible because you're in a coma. You're in a, definitely in a coma at that point. So he's just perplexed. He's just weird. He's just like, okay, well, yes, that happened. <laughs> um, but like, we yes. need to get you tested. And he's like, and she's like, I'm fine. And she's, he's like, uh-huh, okay, yeah, well, yesterday you came in and you were on death's door and so we'll see about that. So they do all these tests and it's like that one part in the, in the book um, that she goes to get to the, um, into the radiographer's room and the radiographer, they want to do a scan on a lymph node. So she's had all these tumors all over her body and they're doing a scan. They're trying to find um, where this thing is. And this radiographer is like 
trying to scan around her body. And he's just like, he's adjusting the machine and he's going around. And he's just like, what is this? Like, why? Where is And then she, he calls the oncologist. He's like, hey, this woman, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this thing, like this report on her, and I'm not looking at the right woman here. Like this woman is like these are two, and he's and the oncologist, no, no, it's the right one. And then like, all right, let's do a bone marrow thing. And so they look at the bone marrow, and it's like an incredible 80% or something plus reduction of her cancer cells, which were in the billions at that point, plaguing her body, couldn't even hold her head up, lungs full of like liquid have completely disappeared. And so the doctors are completely perplexed, but they're, they're maybe thinking at that point, because they put her on chemo. This is a bit of a key Conrad, uh, Conrad point. They put her on chemo as she came in and they're just like, but they know as well. The oncologists are just saying, this is just, this is too far in advanced cancer to have this such mm-hmm. an immediate effect. And so they're perplexed and she's like, I want to go home. And she's like, all I actually want to do is like listen to music and party. That's all she want to do. They're like, no, stay in ICU. And she's just like, she proved to them that she was well enough. She was eating fine. She's like, I just want to get this food thing out of my throat. And she, and they're just like, no, 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 no. Your organs are shutting down. We just need to give you pure, the right food. And she's like, I'm fine. She goes, she eats ice cream. And they're just like, and she was even causing a bit of commotion in ICU because she was just laughing and stuff like that. And they're just like, this is weird. So she reports the first time that she comes and she hadn't seen the park or anything in ages. And, and then she's like, I just want to look outside. She looks outside and it's where she, like just the park across where she grew up. And she's just totally tears running down her eyes and her face because it's the most beautiful thing that she's ever seen. And so anything now, she's, her body's getting better. It's, and the doctors, have, they then ran a new scan on her and they're just like, the cancer just cannot disappear like this. And they ran a new scan on her and it's all gone. And they're just like, we cannot explain this spontaneous remission. This is great, but you're free to go. And she walks out of hospital and um, yeah. And life, it's interesting, Conrad, at that point of what does life look like for her after that? Like what is... And she says it's amazing. Like the most beautiful sunset would just bring a tear to her eye. She didn't even want to like, she'd have like a mosquito that would go around her and she wouldn't even want to kill it. She's just so enamored by the beauty of life and, and life. And she's just, what this, this, this message that she got from her dad of like, go back and live fearlessly. We are with you. She has made such an impression on her. that she almost cannot take life, her old life seriously again. She realized it was all this fear that was in her life, all this, all this, all these things that, that she was so obsessed about with like living in a state of fear about cancer or not, you know, her friends dying and stuff like that. And she was just now no longer afraid. She was totally at peace and she knew that she had a mission. So it's, I don't know how you're feeling. And at that's this. it. No, no, no. There's some things I just, I'm, I just want to check in with you. Cause I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yes, I was, I was just thinking like, this is, this is her writing her story she's like this is true this this is what happened to me and you're reading a book that she's now that's her journey it's like autobiography yeah yes yes okay okay yep all right all right um yep yep so she as she's she finds that she doesn't really fit in that well now like she's just like people talking about politics and she finds it really consumed about money like everyone's doing jobs they don't enjoy and for her now after experiencing total oneness and total bliss and the tapestry of life and how it's all nothing's by accident and we're all interconnected. She feels like this is the dumbest idea ever. She's just like, 
she's in this insane state of like enlightenment. You would, I'd say, you would say it's just this state where she can't relate to her friends that well. She's just like, everyone talks about dumb things. I'm not even interested in the news. Like it's all just fear-based. And she just mm. would sit at the, she'd look at the table in a room and see the, 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 the grain of the wood and start crying of how beautiful it is. And she just finds herself wanting to sit on the ocean, just live, you know, and just live in the present. And um, as she's getting stronger and stronger and stronger, and Danny's like, you should just write some of this stuff down. Like you want, you want to talk to me about it. He's actually really open-minded to the whole thing. And um, he's like, you should just start writing some of this down. So she starts writing down parts of a story. And then she finds a, a forum where um, she wants to upload her, like, you know, her story. And this doctor dude that was actually doing a presentation in Hong Kong, he investigates NDEs. He um, met up with her and he's like, okay, I want to look at the medical records. I want to look at your, your case. And um, I want to investigate and see if it's true. So he goes through everything. He goes through the medical records. Um, and I think you can even find this report online of like what was what the state of that she was at. And then the inexplainable turnaround in her cancer thing. He verifies the story and he asks her to speak at um, conferences and things like that. And she's in such this state of like peace and oneness that she feels like she has a story to tell that this go and live fearlessly thing, this message from her dad is going to, it's going to go to the world and she doesn't even have to work hard to make it happen. She's not even thinking about, you know, it's no hustle culture, right? There's no like Gary Vanderchuk of like, you just got to like do the hours, man. She's just like, crush it. You got to crush it. <laughs> There's none of that for her. She's just like, it'll happen. The universe will make it happen. I have my like, and I have my, you know, army of people that are there and just on the other side of life that I can't see that will just make this happen. So long story short, um, <laughs> she... Uh, she gets her story written down. She hears about on this thing on Hay House. Um, Hay House is a massive like new age publishing network. And she ends okay. up just through a, a, a series of synchronicities, which we can elaborate further on what that means. Synchronicities. Um, good, good buzzword. I like it. Yeah. She gets on this radio call and Wayne Dwyer, which is basically like the Brian Houston or like, I don't know, the Joel Olstein of the new age movement. Um, he hears about a story. Okay. He was already told her story. He's like, I want to write the forward for your book and we're going to release this book. So hmm. she releases the book, international bestseller, goes out from the world. And um, yeah, it's quite, quite the story. The thing that when I was reading the book initially that I was like, I was getting through this thing. I was like, yeah, NDEs. Like I'd researched them before. But she has this whole half of the last half of the book with some of the most profound summaries of combination of spirituality self-development and things that I've, I've widely read at that point and as i was reading it, i was like she was just like it was almost like this perfect bullet point summary of life death how we live it and i was i was actually blown away as i was reading initially i was like pretty flawed on the last half i was a bit skeptical and then i, I it was that phase of the book that i guess we we're going to dive into as well It'll be interesting as to just how this changed her life and now as she mm. has like a following she does retreats teaches people all these things the conclusions i guess you could say that she came to mm -hmm. um as as you know as this thing i guess came to an end like not came to an end but that phase of life came to an end and then this amazing teaching component came in so i've been following her ever since for about 18 months huh. okay and yeah which we go more further into um and then there was some just 
how it was very difficult for her to explain what really what she what she felt. But here are some like summary points, right? It's basically heaven is a state, not a place. It's heaven is now. Eternal life is now, which is you know, something a little bit, you know, um rings a bell. Rings a bell. Um <laughs> and it's all for her. The biggest thing that she got out of like one of the biggest things is like obviously love, but most importantly is love yourself, living your truth, living whatever story that is that's inside of you. She has this like amazing um thing that I loved at the end. Um, and she says this, she's like, you know, a whole, t- you know, it's just, it's just as like, you imagine a whole room of mother Teresa's or a whole room of scientists. She says the whole room of passionate scientists living from their own magnificence is just as powerful as that full room of mother Teresa's. It's all about how we relate to ourselves and how we feel about ourselves that she got from this NDE is the most important thing. She realized some of these other things. She's like, it doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus, Buddha, Shiva, Allah, or none of the above. Like what matters is how you feel about yourself right here and right now, as that is what determines how you conduct your life here. There is no time except the present moment. So it's important to be yourself and to live your own truth. Interesting, right? And she's like, which is another funny. She's like, if religion makes you feel le- lesser than the deities that they're that they propose to be, if they if religion makes you feel less than the deities, you've either misinterpreted it or it's not done a good job in teaching you the truth. If a guru or a teacher mm-hmm. or a master makes you feel that you are not yet enlightened, that there is still more to learn, release or let go of before getting there, they are not doing a good job of teaching you of who you truly are. Hmm. So, so, yeah, you go. She's she's now. So as I'm processing this, she's now stepped into what sounds like guru status. Like she yeah, she goes she hates through this it, actually. journey. She, she's like, I actually I oh. don't I like it, retreats and people come up to me and they want to know. They ask questions. She's like, I try and avoid it. She's like, I'm not a guru. I'm not a teacher. All I'm doing is sharing what I've learned. Oh, she's a teacher, but she's like, I'm not here to tell you what to do. It's about you living from that state of oneness, like being in a line with yourself is the most important thing. Because once you transcend death, Conrad, once you go to this other realm, when there's no time and space, when you're everywhere at once and you see the tapestry of it all, how it all interconnects, you just realize that you're a soul that's been on a journey and maybe a long journey before this, maybe you're a journey that's happened in previous lives. And you're at this point where why violate that who you are as a person inside? Like why, like you're, 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 you're a beautiful gift. You're part of the universe. You're part. It's like, would say a pantheistic view in the sense that you are God and you are one with God at the same time and everything is God. And so why try and violate that? Why try and put a religion in there? Why try and be something that you're not? And if religion doesn't make sense to you, Conrad, leave it. Like if it doesn't resonate with your spirit, your internal spirit, your internal guidelines, like why, why is it even important? And why live in fear? Like love is all that matters. She has this five points at the end of her TEDx talk she does. It's got 3 million views. Um, one, love. And she realized she didn't love herself. She had all this judgment around why she believed in these feminist ideals. And she realized it was just, she just had all these legacy programming basically from um, growing up in traditional Indian society or a semi-traditional Indian society. One, love. Two, 
live life fearlessly. She feared everything, cancer, herself. Like she had no room to love herself when she was fearing everything else. And so live life fearlessly. If there's death is the, if it's one of those final frontiers that we're all worried about, we all try and avoid. Religion spent a lot of time trying to comfort us about. If it's nothing to be feared, then what is there really to lose? It's sort of, we can get like Steve Jobs there at his Harvard graduation speech of just like, when you, when you realize you've got nothing to lose, you can go out and create something. Laughter and joy. She's just realized that it's like the most important thing than any other spiritual discipline, like more important than meditating and stuff like this. It's just experiencing pure laughter and joy is so important. Life is a gift. Number four, even, even challenges are a gift. None of it's by accident. And you'll see one day when you zoom out and you'll see it all, that it's all connected and we can live from that. And five, be yourself. Embrace your uniqueness. Don't run from it. Don't fight it. If you're going to be gay, be gay. If you're going to be this religion of that, if you're non-religious, it doesn't matter. Be yourself. That's the most important thing. Hmm. So... As you read through like her findings and you're reading this book, because it does sound like, you know, she might be like, oh, I don't want to be a guru. She's like giving some advice. And so people will look to her as a guru. As you read this advice, Matt, because it, it sounds like it can be on almost two levels. It's like, you know, live your truth. I mean, how many times you heard that yeah. one? As you're reading this book and you're reading her journey and you followed her for a year, are you, do you find her perspective compelling and do you find it, ha it has a bit of genuine depth and are you drawn to her as kind of a person with a worldview that you go, oh, she's got something? Or is it like, you know, sometimes you might scroll on Instagram and there's some like bikini baby and like, you know, you only get one of these lives and treasure every moment. And you're like, yeah, okay. Like, I don't believe, like, I'm not getting this compelling sense that you're really believing this or do you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. this, this advice can be either this generic tea towel on the wall of a kitchen or you can be compelled by it mm. and go nah this person's like lived it what sense did you get as you're reading it i feel i feel like i feel like she's had this experience and it's it's all true to her like i i've not picked up any i've got a pretty sensitive radio antenna for this sort of bullshit particularly people <laughs> trying to okay so you feel like she's very genuine and like with it. I feel like this, like I get very, whenever someone's telling me what to do or someone's trying to tell me this is the dogma you need to believe, I've got like obviously PTSD with a lot of those like, you know, messaging that comes mm -hmm. into my life. I feel like her messaging is just really not that way. It's just like, I'm not even, she claims, she's like, I'm not a guru. I'm just here to tell you that you're a magnificent being and live your truth. Like, and I've... I mean, it'd be great for me listening to this because like at parts I've wrestled with like looking into a story, NDEs in general, it's a whole, other, a whole other thing we could go into. But are they true or are they not? Well, let's start there then. Let's start at the top of at the level that I think I think is interesting, but the least kind of important and move from there. So it's like from your, is it, is it true radar, Matt? There's probably a few different settings you can, you can log in here. You can go... <laughs> Like you don't think she's lying to you. That's kind of no. what you've said. Like she's she's she doesn't seem like a liar or someone out to sell a book. Okay, no. so you go okay. So it must be true at least for her on that level. Do where do you sit on like like the literalness of her story? Like you know, was she healed miraculously by the the spirit of of love? Essentially, like do you think that could be a literal? thing? She miraculously happened? healed herself. 
I probably need to clarify that. That wasn't like, it was, she was okay. her coming back into her body and, and the revelation of her true nature that healed herself. And her true nature, as you mentioned, was like this love spirit. Infinite being. Go of fear. Yeah. Right. Like it's this. Yeah. And so would you, you know, as you think of that, I, like, do you think this is like this, the love explanation of this going like, yeah, like I think this literally happened. Or are you, you know, are you sitting on the fence and being like, oh, what other explanations? Well, you know, remission or like these statistical yeah. and like improbable. Well, I guess you kind of sit on that. I question? was impacted regardless when I was first listening to it. And I hadn't really investigated a story at that point. I was impacted regardless of her conclusions. Her TLDR stuff was pretty phenomenal. I've read a lot of yes, stuff around that yes. time period. And I was like, this is an amazing bullet point summary of the best or the best books i've read like like you you mean you're saying her takeaways yeah were compelling extremely compelling to me at that point yeah i was pretty floored by them in the sense of just how well put together it was it was just so clear it's hard to describe i guess if you could read the book yourself some people describe this book one of the best spiritual books i've ever read because of just the clarity that's coming out of this because i suppose that that that's what people will this is the categories they're divided into. It's like that question. Everyone's going to be like, yeah, but Matt, was it, was it real? Was it true? And you've kind of gone, okay, like, I don't know where you kind of sit on that. But you're, the thing that you've found compelling is these things you're pulling at the end going like, there's something in this. Like whether this literally happened or there was some other explanation, you're saying the outcome and her worldview that she's sharing now has impacted you. Yeah. Definitely. I think following her since and doing some of her uh, meditations and stuff have had some powerful, I guess we can link them in the show notes um, if you want to try them yourself. Um, I have had some powerful spiritual and revelations just in my own life, even if it's just from a complete humanistic perspective of how I live my life. So she has this, I did it last night, Connor, you're going to love this. I found she has this thing on iTunes where you can do it. She'll take you through an NDE life review experience oh so one o'clock last night i was like i know conrad would appreciate this level of commitment to the cause and so um i plugged myself in and went there i did fall asleep halfway through it wasn't one o'clock in the morning <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know starting with that life review what my life looks like in the first few years and and then going past that threshold and, and watching and feeling the breath escape from me and me entering that and seeing what this she described to you. And it's really quite a unique experience. And regardless of why you believe it's bullshit or not, it doesn't matter because, uh, you know, five, I think five habits are five habits of, is it? Five habits how highly effective people, another book I've read, starts with the same thing, like you're at your own funeral. So it's a very powerful self-personal development tool because you can really start to realize some of the the false patterns that we all exist of fear and ideas and stuff you break them and you realize like what am i doing like i need to be doing this you just get that clarity of like where you need to be going i guess why people do psychedelics as well just to get that clarity disconnect from themselves to break those patterns and to re-engage in a new way of doing life and so through meditation i've achieved i guess somewhat and doing it last night was confronting as i was doing it i was like wow this i'm dying <laughs> and i'm going into this into this zone where i'm not going back to my body and I'm reviewing my life and what, and, and, the, and, and it was amazing as I was looking at some of my regrets and some of my triumphs and things I loved and I hated and that feeling, at least the most amazing gift that I got out of doing that last night was just this feeling of it. It doesn't matter 
There's no judgment. There's no hell. It's just pure love and pure consciousness, which I know is like some buzzwords mm. for people. Yeah, yeah, big time buzzwords there. Yes. Um, like, but mm. that's what I got out of it. And that's what I get out of her teaching. Are you an imaginative person? Are you someone who has like, if, if I'm saying, Matt, visualize this. Of course, yeah. Meditation for me, that's, that's what works by it. But I, that's, that's why I, I, yeah, for sure. I think you should do this as well, though, Conrad. I'll give it a go. But my, my thing is, is I'm like, okay, I'm not. Like, I feel like when someone's like, oh, like, just imagine a door. I'm like, what kind of door? How big is it? What? Like, and then it kind of like hovers anyway. So I'm yeah. like, I'll give it a crack. But I feel like I'm not wired for this. That's my, that's my yeah. initial assumption. But I, I'm open to it. I'm open to it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's, I, I've, okay, some her stories are true. Some doctors would say, yes, we started giving her chemo when she came and arrived at the hospital. And then other doctors would say, it's just so difficult to explain her turnaround. And maybe the in-between all of that is like, doesn't matter, I'm not sure. Maybe this, we just don't realize a lot about consciousness yet. And maybe consciousness can exist outside of the body. And Sam Harris would be like getting all angry and stuff. Cause like in his book, no, it doesn't. Waking it Up, doesn't. he has a whole section on this. He gets really annoyed at it. Um, Cause he would say, well, it's like a chemical thing. Is exactly. Just, you if, can induce like, NDEs. Her, her brain just like released a crap ton of like endorphins. Yeah. And she was imagining this. And then she potentially got that perspective because of this super trip. It's like DMT or something like yeah. that. That's kind or of it's the capacity. Say, yeah. It's the body's capacity for you to deal with death itself. Like it's just right. the body's response to this immense pressure. And then they've done all these studies mm. and they're like, Hey, Hey, like, don't worry. Like, there's no truth out there because we studied NDEs in India. They all meet Krishna or Shiva or whoever. They do NDEs in, Christ- uh, in, in, in Western countries. They all see Jesus. And, we, uh, you know, non-religious people don't see anything. what you imagine. You, you imagine you're creating. However, Conrad, I think there is an explanation. I think a plausible explanation. Oh, man, I'm very sorry. That was a very cruel fade out as Matt was trying to tell us all the plausible explanation but if you're a super friend of the show you won't be hearing this annoying message and you'll be hearing matt explain what he believes is the plausible explanation so if you would like to hear these episodes in full like towards the end of the conversation um, in each episode matt and i probably get more personal we share our opinions more a bit more how we're processing the ideas where we like the idea, where we probably have some personal challenges with the idea. So if that interests you, you can head to ideasdigest.org, become a super friend of the show. You'll get the full episode. You'll also get full interviews when I do them with interesting people that I reach out to. And this week, you'll hear a bit of my personal journey with meditation and specific meditations done by Anita Munjani. I looked one up in this episode. I promised Matt I would go and listen to some of these. And I have, but if you're enjoying the show as it is, you can always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit of your support always, always helps. So if you have any show ideas or want to make contact with me, you can do so on Instagram at Digest, or you can shoot us an email, idisdigest at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Catch you soon.